Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. These are such interesting times. I hope you all are healthy and taking care of yourselves during this COVID-19 pandemic. A great way to pass the time, listen to an awesome podcast like Relatable. Before we jump into my next interview, I want to let you know that I'm holding a communication and conversation workshop for 7th, 8th, and 9th graders on April 8th. Uh, this is going to be a virtual workshop, so if you're interested in signing up your teen, all of the details can be found on the TFA website, www.teresafreemanassociates.com. Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. In this episode, I speak with Tara and Tony Palali, who owns a wellness company that is currently focused on bringing less stress and more well-being information to attorneys and others that work at law firms. Tara, a practicing lawyer for 10 years, shares how she found her way from practicing law to owning a business focused on well-being. I love stories about people who change direction because they find their passion, and Tara did just that. Part of her success is due to her ability to identify and understand what her clients are going through. We discuss how hard work, being fiscally responsible, and planning ahead allowed her to make this switch. We also get some great advice on how to de-stress. Enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm super excited. And um, we were introduced by a mutual friend who um, I've known forever. And she said, you really have to talk to my friend Tara. <laughs> because I think she's doing this really cool thing. And it's totally in line with you know a lot of what I'm trying to do too. So we, she thought our sort of interests and passions would intersect. And so, um, so Tara, maybe we first just start with, tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now, like, and we'll kind of, I like to start with sort of a day in the life, and then we kind of move backwards and talk a little bit about how you got there, Um, but maybe just explain a little bit of what you're doing right now, because it's super cool and interesting. Sure, so I am right now working mostly with lawyers and law firms on um, attorney well-being issues it's a very hot topic right now there's been a lot of a lot of things in the press about um, general mental health issues substance abuse issues with attorneys and um, so there's been a big push by the American Bar Association and by other state bar associations to really put more effort and more thought into how that can be improved so um, so I have a company that I run that I um, do consulting work. I do a lot of um, speaking. I also serve on the lawyer assistance committee for the DC bar. We just do a lot of different work with attorneys in terms of, you know, it's often brainstorming on what needs to be done, Mm -hmm. as well as teaching mindfulness and meditation and really talking a lot about practical ways that these types of things can be integrated into um, kind of a busy day or busy life. Right, right. It's interesting. I I think I told you this when we talked before. I spent a significant part of my career in risk management 
and I spent a ton of time with all our employment attorneys. <laughs> um, and I also was in that job that was like that grind of like, you know, very long work days and long work weeks and traveling a lot. And um, and I worked at, a, you know, one of the big four, so also known as sort of high pace, high pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they found is that as people were retiring, they were dying, right? So they would like make it through <laughs> their retirement. You know, they would get to that retirement age and then because of the stressful life and because of the pace, um, there was like it was a significant number of um, partners that were not just attorneys, but like professional services partners, mm-hmm. right, that would sort of run this rat race. And then at the end, can't even really enjoy, you know, being with your family and everything that you're trying to do after you work so hard. So I think I think from maybe that was 10 years ago, there's a lot that's being done in the well-being space mm-hmm. across the board in terms of corporate wellness. And then I think of attorneys as just, the, again, this like that and like, you know, iBanking and like that whole scene, right? Like it's just super intense. And so, and we were just talking before we started recording about how do we do this in a way that is practical and how they can really use it and do it when probably that lifestyle has not drastically changed Mm -hmm. in terms of what's expected. I think that's true. And then tell us about like how you, your unique perspective is that you did practice, right? So tell us a little bit about that and maybe how you got to this place. And then we can talk in more detail about what it is that you actually do. Sure. So yes, I practiced law for about 10 years. I, um, I went to both college and law school in D.C., and mm-hmm. then I worked for um, a big firm in, in D.C., and I had been a law clerk there, a summer associate. I was an associate. I was in the tax group. And I will say I had a very positive experience mm-hmm. myself. A kudos go out to my long-term boss there. I was um, in the tax group, and um, he really set, I think, a great tone for the department and and the firm that I worked at was really at the probably at the forefront of uh, parental leave and we had a child care center in our building that um, my children went to when they were small and my husband was also a partner there at the same time so I did have a very positive experience even though there were things that were of course stressful about it and there's always the expectation of hours and you only have so many hours in the day. So even if you work at the nicest place and they try to make it lovely and there's all kinds of benefits, when you're trying, when you're billing hours and you're competing against other people for bonuses and for um, advancement, there's only, I think in some sense, there's only so much that right. that firms can do or companies can do. To some extent, it comes down to what your personal outlook is or what right. you're personally willing to do. So Yeah, do you think that's interesting you say that too about bound, like boundaries and mm-hmm. being able to set those boundaries. I always remember people telling me when I would switch jobs, like they would always say, well, don't, if you were in a situation where you had no boundaries, like whenever you start that new job, like set the boundaries up front because people will take whatever you give and um, or organizations will take whatever you give. And I think when you're less experienced in your career, it's really hard. Like I remember being a young, you know, parent and feeling that total pull of trying to have a baby. I don't really know what I'm doing being a mom and figuring that out, but then also still trying to climb 
the corporate ladder and exceed at work and feeling like, well, I can never say no because mm-hmm. this is like the prime earning years and when I can really um, move ahead. And so it is tricky and it's, mm-hmm. tr- and it's tricky to know how to do that in a way that's not career limiting. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a whole nother, you know, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so then you were, you practiced law for a fair amount. And then, and then what happened after that? Like when, when did you decide to leave? I, so I took several very, again, my firm was lovely to me. Yeah. I took several very long maternity leaves. Um, one time I think I took 18 months off. <laughs> and then, um, then I, my last job that I did when I was still practicing law, I, um, I sort of ran the pro bono program largely from home and just working a, yeah. a couple of days a week. I found out I was pregnant with my fourth child and that is when I finally said I, I I didn't really want to do this anymore and to be perfectly honest that was always my preference I always mm. wanted to stay home and you know I felt like my firm did a very nice job of being like well what if you could just work three half days a week would you do that <laughs> yes okay I'll do that and right. then you know, I, I just didn't want to do that anymore and like I said my husband was a um, litigation partner he was traveling a lot and um, I just wanted to be home with my with my kids. So did you meet at work? We did not. Yeah. We have been together since um, I was in college and he was in law school. We were neighbors. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah. We just ended up at the same place. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. That's so funny. Um, okay, so you decide to leave mm-hmm. and then how long of a break before you started this business or um, did you do something in between? No, I really did not do anything in between. I, let's see, I would have to think exactly how long. So this business was a long time in the making. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a few years where I just stayed home with my kids and blissfully enjoyed it and, um, you know, tried to keep my head above water with that. So, um... And then I, I had a vague sense that I wanted to pivot and do something mm-hmm. more in the wellness space. And so that was super gradual. I had no idea it would turn into this business. I had no idea. But I thought, okay, I'm going to start doing these sort of small things that might lead me in this direction. So... And I maybe started taking classes for different certifications in the mm, slowest possible way. Like mm-hmm. I would call, I would call training like these programs, and I would say, I can't do four consecutive weekends. I can't even do four consecutive months. So like, so I uh, one weekend a month. So I said, what if I just sign? I'll I'll pay up. I'll pay the whole fee, but I'll just do like one weekend here, and then maybe like. Next year, I'll do one weekend, and then, like, and that's sort of how I, I did it, and I started, I did a yoga teacher training, I did a Pilates and bar teacher training, I did a meditation teacher training, all kind of in that format, (laughs) of very slowly. (laughs) And this was all, so, with, like, an intent of some sort of future business opportunity, Mm -hmm. Also, maybe your own interest in that space? Like, were you trying to get healthy? Were you, like, was there any duality to it? Or was it all, had you been a big 
kind of workout fitness person prior to that? So I'd always, yeah, yeah, I'd always been um, interested. I was a dancer growing up, and so I'd, oh, I had a, a background that I was interested in yoga and mm-hmm. Pilates and dance, and um, and same thing. I was, had been interested in um, meditation and mindfulness for for many years, but I think I thought maybe I might open a studio at some point, mm-hmm. and. In some ways, there was a really big benefit to going slow because I sort I saw all the different kind of options, and you know I might te- teach one class at a at a yoga studio, and then I was like, oh, I right. never want to run it. I never want to run a studio. That's not what I want to do. So right. it sort of, I think, made me realize what some of the different options are and what I might like or not like. And what's the name of your business? I feel like I oh, should have it's, asked that. Uh, that's okay. It's um, just my name, Tara yeah. Antoni Pillay Wellness. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. so we can make sure we direct people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vast listenership. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of um, the business and getting it going, when would you say that really started happening for you? And then also, maybe you can talk about in a little bit more detail some of those services that you provide. Sure. So I would say about three years ago, the law firm, maybe a little bit longer than that, the law firm that I used to work with asked me to do some work with their summer associate program, giving a presentation on stress reduction techniques. And I, at the time, I had already been teaching. I had been teaching yoga, teaching um, bar, you know, maybe just a couple of classes a week and but this was the first time that it had sort of pivoted into the law firm space. Right. And then around that same time, another client of mine um, from my classes, who was a partner at a law firm, said, well, what about doing an event that's focused on wellness? Would you want to run that? Would you do that? And I said, yeah, sure. Like, when we did that. And then as that developed, I realized I really enjoyed that for mm-hmm. kind of two reasons. One, I was sort of selling more to businesses, to law firms, as opposed to individual people, which I did not like so much. And then, um, so it was more of a business to business than a business to the wide public, which was not my forte. And then, um, and then the second part was, I really felt like there, it was timing wise, it was very good timing. There, they were really starting to open up a lot of the, this, um, sort of focus on well-being and in law firms and it was a very natural space for me. I still knew a lot of people in that area. It was comfortable and I, I think people seemed more willing to hire me because of my background. Right. And so credible, right? It makes yeah. you like you understand their life and the fact that you're it just seems like you'd be a more trusted partner um, or service than an unknown and certainly someone that didn't have that kind of background. Yeah, I, I think, I hope so anyway. I hope that's true. And and so slowly I just started to reach out to other firms and really when I was originally thinking about it, it was um, more I was thinking about classes and, um, and sort of events. Mm-hmm. And over time... I think I realized what worked, what didn't work, and I started doing a lot more research. And, you know, you just meet people in the space, find out 
what different people are doing and also what you like to do. So right. at a certain point, I think I, I started to narrow down, all right, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I don't want to do? And um, yeah, so it, that was sort of gradually how it happened. And I became more and more interested not only in not only in the substance, but in the um, psychology of how do you get people to make change, right? What, how do you get people to make behavioral change? So this year I started um, doing some graduate work at Penn in their um, applied positive psychology program, mm -hmm. which I think I'll eventually finish the master's program there because I just really, um, like I said, there's there's an awful lot being offered and then sort of how do you get people to take advantage of that or right. how do you get people who sort of have a certain way of doing things that's sort of ingrained and a culture that's ingrained and how do you allow for maybe sort mm -hmm. of incremental change right. in that space so that's sort of the general trajectory did, yeah <laughs> did you feel like when you pursued this you were taking a big risk because were you at a, at a, when you decided that you were ready to start getting busy again or you were ready to, you know, take on more outside of working at home and being a mom, did you feel like it was a risk to go into this uncharted space? Did you feel a pull to go back and practice as you had before? Or did you know unequivocally when you left, well, I'm done with that and I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to do something, I just don't know what it's going to be. You know, I would say it's a bit of a double, there's a double edge. Like there's, I think I felt probably like I wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it wasn't a big risk because I wasn't earning any sort of outside income anyway. So mm -hmm. I was, and I wasn't spending a lot to pivot. Right. I just sort of did it very incrementally and didn't spend a lot of money in the process. And then... Um, but the flip side of it is there's a certain amount of security in knowing that you have that law degree behind you. Like in the sense that I knew if I needed, if we needed to, mm -hmm. that I could go back and do that. So, you know, it's kind of both. And I didn't, wasn't, I certainly didn't dislike practicing law. I just probably right. more interested in this. So, um, so I guess that's the way I kind of looked at it. And how, and then I want to ask you one more question sort of about current day and then maybe we'll um, go back a little bit, but how much time would you say, like you're spending now, either providing services, you know, in the capacity that you want to be, or putting time and effort into your business, mm -hmm. um, and is that commensurate with what you want to be doing? Is it what you thought you would be doing? Uh, I read something once when I started this business that it was like you know, be careful to not be a fence sitter. So like, you can like, if you want to cherry pick things, it's just going to take that much longer. So you have to like, get off the fence and fully commit in order for things to really like, have momentum and to move the way you want them. And I would say I've like, vast, like sometimes mm -hmm. I've been have weeks where I'm putting in a ton of time. And then there's a week where I maybe really dial back. So it's, I would say for me, it has been somewhat inconsistent. So I'm curious about just because it's somewhat similar in terms of mm -hmm. um, 
my I would say mine has ebbed and flowed as well. Yeah. And I think to some extent with what's going on in my personal life, right. like I'll back off on sort of reaching out to people right. and there'll be a natural lull and I um you know, if there's something, if it's a particularly busy time of year with the kids or with my husband's business, I'll, you know, I might sort of step back. And I do set, you know, I set pretty firm limits. Like, I don't work all of August. I don't do much in December. Mm -hmm. Those are natural times yeah. anyway right. that there's not going to yeah. be a lot of, it doesn't really make sense to provide a lot of programming during those right. times because people aren't in the office. But, um... There's that. It's lately I would say it's been more consistent mm -hmm. as I've narrowed down what I am doing. I've also I think gotten better at setting the limits of what I want to do and mm -hmm. when I'm going to do it. So I might say, oh well, if somebody wants to meet sort of as a business develop meeting, I might say, okay, well I'm downtown on Tuesdays and I right. so I can and meet. Yeah. Any Tuesday from one thirty to until my kids get out of school at 3, right? And that might mean that that meeting doesn't happen for six weeks right. as opposed to what I was doing last year, which was kind of taking whatever meeting happened in a way that wasn't super convenient or it didn't, like, manage my time yep. that well. So, but that's, like you said, also a function of having more choices about what right. you are taking and not taking whereas in the at first I just sort of took whatever whatever right <laughs> Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates your one-stop shop for soft skills development speaking coaching and workshops if you'd like to hire Teresa visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information And you touched on this briefly. You said your husband started his own business. So he left too, right? Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about that just in terms mm -hmm. of that's kind of scary, right? So like you've on your own and then he's like, hey, I want to do something too. So how yeah. did that come about and how has that been working just given... Yeah, it's a... Yeah, so my husband's business is... Um, so he actually left being a lawyer and he was um, in the administration, uh, in the prior administration, President Obama. Mm -hmm. And then um, he did that for three years and then he founded a um, privacy technology startup um, called Wirewheel. And the intensity and trajectory of that is pretty much the opposite of my <laughs> so, which also kind of dovetails nicely with yeah. our personalities, I would yeah. say. But um, it's, you know, like he went from like zero to 60 employees in two years. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's they've now raised like a series B round of financing. And so, I mean, it's it's like it's going. Right. <laughs> so, right. Um, and it is a around the clock job with a lot of travel and stuff so it's it's very different in many ways though I think it's really interesting for us to both be doing this at the same time you know we I will say we in the interest of full disclosure we planned that for I don't think either one of us thought we would be 
in a law firm forever. Mm -hmm. So our financial planning, the way we looked at things was always very conservative. We always saved so that we would sort of have the option to, to do that. So it was intentional in that sense, but it is, there's things that are good about it. Like we, I think we can understand even though what we're doing is vastly different in terms of scope. I think we do, we can both understand the, um, the pressure of taking a risk, Mm -hmm. which even though I wasn't really taking financial risk, you're still putting yourself out there. Well, and attorneys are like notoriously like so risk averse. So that's interesting to me too, that, Mm -hmm. that, I mean, again, I was in risk management and the attorneys, we were were all about mitigating risk. So I definitely have that hat, but still I, even outside of that, if you have a conversation, typically it's like, what about this? What about this? What about that? You know, you go through the list um, so it's interesting that you both have that background and then we're willing to take that leap. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. And putting yourself out there is yeah, scary, scary, you know, yeah. and rejection doesn't feel great. And okay. for anybody that does this, there's rejection. And right. if you've already achieved a certain amount in your career to kind of go back and be putting yourself out there in a different way, I think, I feel like I've learned a lot from it. I think that my husband would probably say that he has too. And I think it's maybe good for our kids watching that. But it it is also, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's definitely times when I am like, what am I doing? Yeah. And (laughs) does he, given what he, like you said, it's very intense and it's all consuming. Does he practice your mindfulness and like stress reduction (laughs) techniques? He does. And I actually, I am, I'm, working on a um, presentation that I'm giving at a partnership retreat in a couple of weeks. And I said to him, okay, would it be okay if I told this story about you? Because it's, I think, a flattering story. But, you know, he doesn't have a million hours in the day to be doing a lot of stuff. But I think sort of your the way you approach things and the way you respond to stress also matters, right? And studies show that, right? That it's not just the way people feel about the stress in their lives impacts sort of what the health the mm-hmm. health consequences are. So people who have a lot of stress but don't feel like it's bad for them actually don't tend to have the same type of health right. consequences, right? And so my husband was, um, I was in New York and my husband was home with our kids. He doesn't usually do the sort of get out of the house in the morning routine. So he was like doing that. And he texts me from, he's then leaving for Miami as I'm coming back on the train. And so he texts me as he's taxing. He's like, kids out the door, check. Like dog walked and fed, check. Like lunch boxes, check. Like, and I'm like, oh, this is going pretty well. And he goes, my suitcase is by the front door. <laughs> so like he's going to Miami to give like a speech at a huge conference and like, and he has no clothes. And I'm like, I, you know, but I just thought the fact that he approached it with humor yeah. as opposed to being like I stressed totally out. And then he's like texting me photos from <laughs> the only Shopping. thing open was Ross, like discount department <laughs> store. And so he's like, he's like sending me pictures. Who are all these people at Ross in the middle of the day on a Monday? It wasn't even the middle of the day. It was like nine in the morning. And, and then it's like a picture of him wearing someone else's blazer, like to give his speech and a picture of the Starbucks shopping bag that he was using like as a suitcase. 
this. And I was like, That's so, but awesome. I was just, when I yeah. was like thinking about this talk that I was giving about stress, it's like not just about sort of tools, but also about outlook, yeah. right? And that sure. was, so I do think he, he does try like when he can, but I, I think it's also this like a, an approach that you have to life and why some people probably are more likely to take on those things that might be stressful because they can do it in sort of a healthy way. It's so funny. I am. So there's, um, in my family, there's three of us that generally wake up happy. We just are happier people. I don't know, you know, and then there's two of us that I think sometimes have to work at it a little bit. They don't necessarily jump out of bed with that, like, Let's go attitude. Yeah. And I was just talking to one of the ones that is, you know, more sort of got that zip in their step. And I said, you know, I'm so grateful that I was born this way. And Missy and I have talked about this too. I think like just that you, you kind of a half full mentality. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's something that I learned. I think I'm innately like that. And to your point of like, you know, how do you structure your day or structure yourself to, to, if you know yourself well, to be able to pull that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's so hard when it's something that comes naturally to be able to impart that or to be not frustrated by the people that are a little harder to get there or a little uh, half empty, right? And there's lots of things that go into that. And mm-hmm. But I do, I'm curious about what you learn in your master's because I feel <laughs> like there's something to that, right? Because mm-hmm. we just, they're, you know, unmedicated. I can sort of wake up and be like, let's, let's go mm-hmm. today. And, and I think there's a lot of people that have that and maybe a lot that don't. Yeah. And so then how do you manage to that? Um, and the other thing I think you said about stress, which we did a whole thing when I, when I was at um, Deloitte that I loved around the corporate athlete. Mm-hmm. And um, they worked with like Johnson Johnson or high performance, you know, center where they bring all these elite athletes and they talk about stress and recovery and they talk about that stress is important mm-hmm. but rest is just as important and so if you have you can't it's the chronic can't you know sustained levels of that mm-hmm. that is what right eventually yeah. have the negative impact from a medical perspective and I when I went through this program I had never really thought of it in that context and mm-hmm. I had never thought of business professionals as athletes mm-hmm. and it was this really cool intersection of like you need to do all these things just like elite athletes have to do if you want to be at your peak performance which is probably some of what I, yeah. I think you cover um, when you talk but it's it's this really cool perspective of seeing it mathematically and seeing it from data and seeing it's not just touchy-feely like mm-hmm. hey let's all hold hands and <laughs> Yeah, you know, be peaceful together in terms of... Totally. And really breaking it down for people. I mean, I think some things that come naturally to some people, right? Like yeah. getting out of bed in the in the morning or they don't come naturally to other people. So, so there are things that I now include that I wouldn't have included or didn't include three years ago. That right? you've learned. That from, I've learned. Because everybody's different. Yeah. That people are different and... And I've learned even things like teaching people about breath. Like, I used to think, oh, well, like, breathing could be, like, a 15-minute part of this presentation. I'm like, oh, actually, breathing needs to be its whole entirely own presentation because it really is very challenging. A lot of people, if you say, slow down and deepen your breath, they 
simply cannot do it, right? right? And they they really they need to be sort of talked through and really taught how to do that and sort of gain the benefits from mm-hmm. that. So I really I tend to focus on those really micro pieces that um, you know you're going to breathe anyway, so you might as well be breathing in a way that's going to relax your brain and sort of turn on that rest and relax response as opposed to breathing in a way that is going to you know turn on your fight or flight response and so anyway like things I've learned over time yeah in terms of how to deliver information (laughs) well and I think a lot of us too just grind and so Mm -hmm. you don't um and those of us that have more years behind us start to think we've learned a certain way to do things and we don't want to take the time to unwind that or change it or there's all these habits that you create and so just this idea of like hey you can do this differently mm-hmm. and it can have really positive benefits so i think it's really cool what you're doing <laughs> let's um back up a little bit tell me just in terms of um your kind of growing up and if you think about middle school and high school we talk about that a lot on mm-hmm. this podcast because i'm really passionate about youth development and particularly what I love about your story and even your husband's story. And I just talked to a good friend of mine who was sort of on his road to be a partner in, in like professional services and then really found that teaching was his passion. And so I love stories where you think you're going one way and then for a variety of reasons you pivot or you change. And so, um, and I hope that people listening can find some likeness in that or find some solace that maybe they don't know what they want to do and you figure that stuff out. So when you think about like middle school and high school for you and that time, those formative years, did you have any specific challenges or, you know, successes or anything at that time that, that shaped how you have approached Mm -hmm. your life? Or you think that even maybe, um, have, somehow connected to now this passion project that you have and and doing the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, such an interesting question. And it's a little bit hard to to evaluate for me. The one thing that I would say, I I mean, I was a very different person approach-wise. I was super uh, intense about school and like very focused. I grew up in a small town, um, but I went I went away to boarding school in high school because I sort of was m- wanted more academically, and so I think people who knew me then find this pivot super interesting, right? Because they, I don't think they would have seen me being a stay-at-home mom. I don't think they probably would have predicted that, or nor do I think that they would have predicted that I would go in this direction either. So were you very driven? Mm-hmm. And was that the parent influenced? Was that self-motivated? I think largely self-motivated. My 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 parents were extraordinarily hard workers. My they're both originally from New York City but moved to upstate New York and my dad's a lawyer also. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. But they're both super hard workers and if I in sort of whatever they did and I that I think is probably the thing that sticks out to mm-hmm. me the most and I felt like I was super hard working when I was a stay-at-home mom I felt like so you know I mean I didn't feel like doing that was a vacation yeah. you know? no so, and and it's and it's and it's like a restart in its own way right because 
leaving what you do to stay at home full time, you know, you don't get that validation right. or whatever. So, I mean, I think in some ways that sense of, of being willing to take risk or being, uh, being hardworking, being willing to, like you said, kind of grind it out or persevere is the thing that I think is probably the carryover from my right. childhood, right? That sort of has followed me through the day and through the years. But I don't know that there was a particular defining right. event. But that's the thing that I sort of see as... Did academics consistent. come very easy for you? Or did you have to work at them? I think that there was a certain amount that came easy to me, but I was also, I was like pretty willing to take risks even then. Like I think my parents instilled a certain amount of confidence in us. I don't mm. know exactly how you do that, but um, I hope that I'm doing it with my children. But, you know, and I think that even though I might have done well in school, you know, I might have whatever, run for student government or do things. I mean, I was always kind of willing to push it to sort of go away to school, even though I came from a small town where no one else did that. And you did that for all of high school? Like, did you? I went my last two years of high school. Yeah. That's kind of hard to like socially. So did you have, how was your social experience then? Like in those years were you? I'm going to like sound like the most boring person ever when I describe (laughs) this, because it's not to say that I haven't had challenges in my life because I certainly had, but I, um, I feel like I've been extremely fortunate in my life that I like grew up with a really loving family and I, my friend, I always had really close friendships and I wasn't like, I mean, I tell my kids, like I was kind of nerdy, like academically and stuff, but I wasn't, I was well accepted. I feel like, you know, yeah, like I, (laughs) no, so, you know, I didn't really have that experience, whether it was sort of in my small town high school or away or in college, like. I, I had a pretty happy, positive yeah. experience, like normal growing up right. stuff, but not anything that was um, negative. And I think my personality, I tend to sort of seek that out, yeah. you know, in terms of how, like, the types of friends that I... Uh, and how many siblings do you have? I have two. I have a younger sister who's two years younger than I am, and I have a younger brother who's almost nine years younger than okay. me. Okay. So, so you're the oldest. I'm the oldest, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm the youngest. This Are you? Is the oldest, yeah. I'm Are the youngest you? of five, so. Um, and then my son, that the oldest, always tries to commiserate with my oldest sister, and, like, he always tells, tries to tell me how hard it is to be the oldest and how it's such a cross to bear, and then they all make fun of me for being the baby, and they all yeah, have a good time with that. We definitely make fun of my brother as the baby <laughs> yeah, in the family a yeah. little bit. I, I think my siblings think of me as the like quintessential bossy oldest. I mean, if I were to, to be perfectly honest, yeah. I think that's how they... Our oldest is bossy. But yeah, my, <laughs> my sister is, uh, my middle sister is, is by far the most intense, like she was a like on the cusp of being a professional ballet dancer and now she she has an MBA and she's like an executive at Amazon and she's like very success, uh, successful right. in a very intense driven way <laughs> right so it's like I don't actually think in the end it turned out that I was the most 
happens. Right. They still, well, you know, I think like, things ling- linger from yeah. childhood. Well, and I think what's interesting when you t- tap, tapped on it or touched on the hard work, and I think that, um, you, you know, there is no substitute for that, regardless mm-hmm. of your path. And I, it's such an important component to people figuring out where they want to go and what they want to do. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com. And the reason I ask the academics question is, is just because I feel like there's a misconception among people that, you know, may it maybe comes easier to them that it's this easy ride. And you still have to put in work and you still mm-hmm. have to... Um, be dedicated and if you choose to not go that path because you know again as you've talked about you're finding the space that really energizes you and gives you a lot of motivation the same for me I was in a very traditional path for a very long time but I also it was a wonderful experience but did it really I don't know that it connected Mm -hmm. with my spirit as much as what I'm doing now so the fact that like you know, being hardworking, I don't think you could do what you're doing now if you didn't have a work ethic because mm-hmm. it takes a ton of motivation. You know, pull up the bootstraps and say, what rejection am I going to face today yeah. <laughs> um, in this space? But also just to keep it going and, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, like to your point, if you've been doing this for three years, that's that's not easy to mm-hmm. try to build that brand. And, and so it's interesting. I think the hard work piece is such, it's such an important one for people to recognize. And then... The flip side of that, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you find, and whether it's if you're on a panel or if you're in a classroom environment or maybe it's a program you're running, how do you feel when you leave that event? Mm-hmm. Like, are you know, what is your energy like when you leave something like that that you've done, that you've pulled together? Well, for me, I think it really varies based on the reaction, and I leave some events feeling amazing and like this is great and I feel uh, leave others and think I'm not sure if that resonated Mm -hmm. with anyone or if it fell flat and and sometimes I do things that in retrospect I'm like why did I say yes to doing that like it was sort of someone else's idea and they say can you do this and I agree and then I'm like Oh, that was I don't want to do that again. <laughs> you know? So right. And recently, I had an experience where I had organized a teen mindfulness class that some of my friends and neighbors had asked me to do. And the middle school section was like great. Like the kids were engaged. They were interesting. The high school section was. I mean, I had I canceled it <laughs> because it was so bad the kids were didn't want to be there their parents had sort of forced them Mm. to go and they were really I mean just basically not it wasn't a pleasant experience and it's like like halfway through you canceled it. I I did the first like two sessions it was sort of a four-week program and then I was like I don't think we're going to do this. You know, and I mean, that's also maturity at a certain level. Yeah, it's huge. To be like, this isn't really, no one's getting anything. But that was probably like the worst professional experience I've had in a very long time, you know. And it wasn't even really the primary thing I was doing. I just said, oh, yeah. Someone said, well, do you think you could do this? And I said, sure, I'll do it. And 
like I said, the one section with middle school kids was so great, and every the kids were super into it, and then the yeah, was like not it's a totally different audience. Yes, exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. I and I just said to the parents, like, I I don't think they're getting anything out of this, and they don't seem to want to be here. So I think maybe we're just gonna, you know, yeah, like let this go. And I mean, you learn a lot from those yes. experiences that yeah. don't go well. But I mean, that's part of the learning, and I think that's part of to your point around. You said you would try and do things like from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the people we'll talk to, um, I think it was Dan at Duke, he was talking about, you know, for people that that age, like in college and like high school, that, you know, fear is such a motivator to do or not do something. Mm-hmm. And like you, uh, I don't know where I have this, but I would do things without much thought to the implications socially or otherwise like I just if I felt like I should Mm -hmm. do something then I was just gonna try it and do it and it's like in some ways it's been great and Mm -hmm. then in some ways it is really embarrassing right (laughs) so you just have to take you know you take kind of the lumps but then you get this kind of great reward and success and the reason I asked you the question about how do you feel because I feel I do think that like when you're more closely aligned to not to get too like frou-frou but your purpose it doesn't feel like work. So every time I do an interview, I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. It's like, you know, we'll finish this today and I'll be, I'll have so much energy because Mm -hmm. it's something that I love doing and it doesn't feel like work to me. You put me in front of an Excel spreadsheet where I have to like data mine and QA stuff and I will be like curling up in the fetal position in my bed because I, it's like so much takes energy away from me. So I think that's when I ask you that question, it's like, you know, even on your days where it maybe didn't go as well, would you say you still feel more like in line to your purpose than at other? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, it is. And there are days when, I mean, everybody has this when you're, when I think, oh, I don't really feel like going to do this today or I have a lot of other things to do. Almost universally when I go and do that, I feel better after, which is not really... I would say what is that it's not really my wasn't my nature? experience before right that I would go to work and feel better after <laughs> and it wasn't like I didn't yeah. like really what I was doing but whereas I this I really feel like you said I feel energized talking to people um and I also even just thinking about it like I'll get excited right. about what I'm doing so yeah. yeah so in terms of um your business and some of the advice that you have for people. I don't want to give it all away because I know like you <laughs> want people to come and take your courses and whatnot. But what what are some of the things that you see uh, are key themes or where you know? And again, maybe it's simple, but but what counselor advice do you have for those of us that are having difficulties de-stressing or ways to be more mindful? The thing that. I think is the number one thing it's also what I'm interested in from a research perspective is do the small things right make take the small step because those sort of incremental steps they add up to something mm-hmm. right and then I think they actually allow people to make meaningful change over time because you're you're not you're biting something off that you can actually do on a day-to-day basis so I mean, my number one piece of advice is, like, do something, right? Do a thing, right? It may not be as good as 
you know, 30 minutes of meditation or 30 minutes of exercise, but that small thing is is certainly better than nothing. And if and, and if you do that 5 minutes a day, that, you know, that's that's a meaningful change over right. the course of years. So that's that's probably the number one thing that I focus on um, and in sort of allowing people to integrate those things in, into their life because I, I think people, and, and I, I have lived this certainly. I mean, when I first started working out again after I had children, I would like exercise one day a week and the only time I could do it was like, before my husband left for work so and it wasn't like that fun but I just sort of like did it and eventually kind of built on it and I wasn't really thinking at the time I was just like my back kind of hurts I need to exercise right it wasn't like I was thinking functionally right it was I was not like I was like oh I want to be in great shape or do anything like this but I mean I do so I feel like those that that focus on doing something Mm -hmm. is probably the most important thing as opposed to doing a perfect thing or yeah there's a lot of research now on like the power of habit right so there's Mm -hmm. that book an atomic habit I don't know if you've read Mm -hmm. those or um but there's it's a lot of that incremental everyday uh it's you know I think part of our the on-demand world we live in it's very counter everything is so immediate and that you you know the iterative thing of doing something every single day it just feels like overwhelming because you just mm-hmm. want it to be a fix like overnight you know it's like and it's so funny I'm like, I'll work out like two times a week and I'm like why are my clothes like looser already and it's just like because you've only done it's there's something mentally yeah. and I think it's just a byproduct of everything being so like, oh, I want this. I can have it right now. Like, I don't have to wait for anything. So it's yes. in the, and I think I even a human that had <laughs> problems with delayed gratification anyway. So like, <laughs> it's like, I am like, you know, so for people that have to make changes where maybe that's an issue or, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like mental gymnastics to it like, is. and I still to do it. I mean, I probably work out almost every day, but there are days when I just, try not to think about the workout. I just say, I'm just going to walk into the studio. Yeah. It's like I'm telling yeah. myself, I might walk out or I might right. stay. But I just, I'm not really, I, I try not to go to like, just like Two, one step at a time, yeah. right? Like stay, and that certainly has a mindfulness element of too, but just like stay in the now, right? Yeah. Take this one step and then you can kind of worry about the next step as right. opposed to the um, 18 steps in the future of, oh God, I've got to get through this hour of exercise or, you know. For sure, for sure. Um, Okay, so in terms of um, if people want to contact you Mm -hmm. or they're interested in what you're providing, tell us how they can do that. Yeah, so the best way, so I have, um, you can go to my website. It's toawell.com. Or you can email me at Tara, T-A-R-A, at T-O-A-Well.com. Okay, cool. And then my last question that um, I like to ask people is when you think back, um, for when you think back to the driven, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? The driven you and uh-huh. like at that time, is there any advice that you would give yourself? Or I know you have, you know, four kids, so... Similarly, like if you're trying to give them counsel just that are in that kind of teen space or that young adult space, what, um, or even for you, maybe 
right out of school and assimilating to being in the corporate environment? Like, what are things that you would advice that you would give? I am trying to think of the, the, the advice that I would give is probably to focus on the, and I heard someone else um, talk about research they were doing on this recently, and it really stuck with me, but is to focus on the growing, focus on the getting better and um, learning more as opposed to the outcome, right? So let that goal, let the growing and the learning and the, that be the goal as opposed to some end point. Like those things almost, you know, statistically never actually make people (laughs) very happy, right? The making partner, the, um, you know, making a certain amount of money that, that, I mean, you want to be able to live and be comfortable, but so that's important, but I would say focus that I, you know, focus more on the learning and the growing and maybe less on the outcome. On the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard to do. Yeah, it is. I don't it's, know. I mean, it's um, really hard for everyone. And I think about it in terms of like weight loss or fitness. Yeah. Um, you know, I've definitely ridden that roller coaster and when I'm in a place where I'm super fit and I'm the weight that I want to be... I always think there's this magic thing that's going to happen and that the life changes, right, when you get to that spot. And then the truth is it doesn't change because it's really not about that. And that's so hard to even intellectually fully understanding that, yet there's the psychology of how do you, why do you keep getting back in the cycle of doing that, you know, which I know we can't answer here, but uh, (laughs) if we could, maybe we wouldn't have to be doing the grind. We'd be be chilling right now uh, with the martinis on Martha's Vineyard. But I think there is something really valuable with like being in the present, understanding that what you can learn in the moment is really powerful. I was with my son the other night. I was just telling Missy about this and he was with his buddies and you know, they're, they're sophomores in high school, so there's still, like, a little bit of an innocence about them. And they were laughing and, like, singing in the car. And you could see there was just this, like, very free kind of innocence. And I, and I just was like, oh, if we could just bottle this, right? Because they're not fully exposed to the harshness <laughs> of, of what happens, you know, as you get out into the world and you feel that rejection or you... Um, start to conform because you want to be accepted or all these things that I felt like, oh my gosh, if I could just bottle this and sell it, it would yeah. be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's so nice. I know. So I definitely agree. Like, be in the moment and, and like, as best as you can, enjoy the journey. Yeah. But thank you so much. Thank you for I, having me. It this was, was fun. It was really yeah. fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening and thank you, Tara. I feel motivated to de-stress after that conversation. I really enjoyed uh, sitting down and speaking with you. I'm so happy that you found space in your life to do something meaningful and helpful for others, especially those in high-pressure, high-stake jobs. If you're looking for someone to provide a workshop for your business, reach out to Tara at toawell.com. 
A special thanks to Missy, my producer, on this episode. As a reminder, if you like this discussion, please subscribe and rate Relatable. We're on most streaming platforms. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can also follow us on Twitter, and we have a TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.